Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of the Pursuit of Love podcast. My name is Steve Clayton, and we are back for another, hopefully, riveting conversation with a couple of lads, people I call my best mates, but also now in business together, dream come true, Darcy J. Smythe and the Mr. Diff Crowther. How are we, lads? Yep. Good to be, good to be here. I don't think diff diff they can't they can't know, hear you go, go, like was, putting your hand on your head and giving the salute. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I also am here. Hello. Yeah, diff's done the real like ahoy like little uh, little uh, head over the top, and uh, yeah, we've got the mower man outside. We've got Darcy spritzing a lamb shoulder, and diff's got his family coming over soon. So this is just like one of those real uh, quality conversations where it's you hit the record button and you get what you get. And you don't, and you don't get, get upset. Boys, <laughs> <laughs> boys, what's been happening? It's been a good couple of weeks, hasn't it? I feel like we're in uh, we're in good rhythm. Episode three, I feel like we've got this thing kind of nailed. And obviously, even this business thing, it feels like we're in a really good place. January was like, whoa, we got lots to do and everything's happening. I don't know about you, but it's feeling like I've got a whiskey in hand. It's as if Friday that's afternoon. Not, as if that's right. not the... Um, that is the ultimate thing to be written on the gravestone of any business. You know, Steve Clayton, I think I've got a handle on this thing. <laughs> the, la- the, the most famous last words could possibly come. Yeah, Again, with your negative yeah. Sisyphus attitude. Yeah, I've got to start every episode just, just making sure we're all in the right deal. spot. <laughs> mm. No, it's good. It's good. But no, I've been enjoying, I've been enjoying February so far. February's started really well. February's been kind. February's, February's been, been kind. very kind. Yes. And, uh, and it's been good. We're, we're off the back of a, a double record month in business. We, we hit, hit a record in December and then we hit another record in January. It's not slowing down anytime soon, Dar. So hats off uh, to you, mate. You've taken yeah, over head of sales and uh, you're killing it with JT. So uh, if you are one of the, uh, one of the fans out there of, of the outbound world, which is this company that we're building around the world, who, who would have thought it, lads? We're in software yeah. development. Yeah. Look at that. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Good boys, get there. Good, 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 good. And we're getting some good feedback off the podcast as well. People are loving it that it's back. And yeah, uh, a bit of transparency moment. How many listens to last week's episode compared to the first? Because the first had some good booming numbers. We did. And we did. My, I know, my uh, thoughts are in the second, did they come back for more or were they like, ah, the boys have lost it? They're past it. I'll bring it up while you go. In other news, actually, Diff, I'm going to announce it. For you, because you probably can't, doesn't feel good to announce it yourself, but Diff's podcast, Chiron, is the name of the podcast coming. And I listened to the first episode. It went for 19 minutes, I believe it was the first episode. Um, and really, you know what I'm going to describe it as, Diff? It's philosophy concepts and philosophy, the history of philosophy in some respects um, explained to, to just the normal bloke who's interested. Like if you're the slightest bit interested in philosophy, it would have been brilliant to have you as a teacher at secondary school, Diff, because the way that your podcast comes across is so easy to consume yeah, where philosophy can become, you can get stuck in the weeds a lot. You can get stuck on granular intricacies of right and wrong and all of that, as opposed to this is pretty cool to teach. So we're going to be sprouting Diff's individual podcast. Yeah. Well, I hope that I don't get uh, bogged down in granular, you know, bogged down in the weeds in, in, in coming episodes. It's not only philosophy, it's uh, literature and history and theology as well. And sports and, um, and weather. And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the latest <laughs> the scandal kid, in the NFL. Uh, just for good measure. 
but yeah, I wouldn't want people thinking it's only philosophy because if they if, if people tune in for episode two, we spend the time uh, talking about the uh, the character of Satan uh, as represented in the Bible and in Paradise Lost. So we kind of go everywhere, but it always does have a philosophical basis for what we're talking about. And episode three is and episode three is all about Tom Brady. So just uh... <laughs> AKA <laughs> Satan. No, not. <laughs> The guy, no, no. Yeah. Tom Brady's nothing like Satan. No, episode three is about Satan as well because there's too much material, so I just kind of kept on going. But yeah, nice. uh, I, I, I've re- I'm really enjoying making it, and I hope people might enjoy listening to it. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the, I'm gonna play the, um, the layman on this. How, how do you spell Chiron? Is it with a K? C-H-I- no, no, C H I R O N. There you go, yes. Chiron. And what is was... that word? What does oh, Chiron that's, mean? That's a Bugatti. Yes. That's a that's a Bugatti. They named it. It, it is. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So they named it after a, a centaur in Greek mythology. I don't know if right. they did that on purpose or not. I think uh, they but, did. Uh, well, Bugatti's Chiron, owned yeah. Bugatti's owned by Lamborghini, right? And so right. you got the you got the whole Lamborghini type Aventador and that kind of thing. So it's it's similar sort of lines of the bull and the interesting and, uh, choice. Chiron was really one of the only centaurs that wasn't horrifically violent and kind of crazy. And he trained all of the, in Greek mythology, trained a whole bunch of the heroes when they were young. So Theseus and Heracles and all those guys used to hang out in Chiron's cave and learn from his wisdom and get prepared to go off and do the heroic stuff that they, that they went and did. Nice. And is there anything you don't know, Diff? Uh, there, <laughs> is there anything in this world you are not knowledgeable on? Just curious, just wondering. things that I don't know. So yeah, I would say there must be a lot, but I don't know what they are. <laughs> oh, humble too. Right. Oh, I didn't know. Oh no, I did know. I did know about the Bugatti thing. I don't know how, but I, I saw people talking about that somewhere online. But I've got no idea if they knew what Chiron was when they called it that. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Good times. Good times. It's probably a very uh, great segue for today's topic of the podcast because we are we were just having a chat offline before about we're like let's turn this into the podcast episode, which was the modern world is causing us and requiring us to work harder and harder and typically longer and longer, but also smarter and smarter at the same time. Um, Particularly if you are career driven, particularly if you're innovatively driven, I know we especially are. So we feel the pinch. We love it. We really enjoy it. Um, You know, Steve and I have been working together closely now for the last, say, five years, four years. And so we love it. We thrive off it, but we understand that, you know, perhaps i don't know maybe 90 to 80% of the rest of the world maybe they don't thrive off it as much as that it tends to be a sort of it's not better or worse it's just a way that you made up um and we were talking about how powerful it could be for companies to offer their team members and offer their staff what would you do, what would you describe it as steve a day a fortnight or a day a month or even a day a quarter um to work on something within the business or even outside of it, that truly lights them up, inspires them and allows them to get creative and yeah. allows them to put all their business as usual for a si- aside for one day. And you just go create whatever it is you want to create. No boundaries. Now, Diff has the idea that that could actually create more anxiety rather than liberation. Steve's mm. all about it because he's creative at heart. And now he gets to spend all of his days being creative, which is as far as this company is concerned, is the best thing in the world. We love seeing it and what you come up with. Um, but it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it, as a concept? What would happen if team members were given a bit more freedom mm. uh, to do whatever it is they want to do? Yeah. I gave the example. I gave the example of I've seen companies previously who were like, okay, one day a quarter, you get to go do charity work and it's paid for by the company, whatever it is you need to do. 
you just get out of here. It doesn't count as one of your days off or anything like this. So we've seen it in that sort of realm, but this might be headed down a different sort of angle. What are you thinking, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know, like it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing that I would encourage for everyone that's in our business. And I was talking to JT, he's one of our new, new sales lads and, uh, you know, he, he's starting his own podcast as well and, and he loves writing and doing creative ventures. And I'm like, all about it. I'm like, I would love to be in a position where every single person that comes and works with Outbound or Y Bravo or whatever it may be is always working on like a sideline project. Because I, I, I just know personally that if I don't have a creative venture or I don't have something else that I'm kind of working on, on the side or something that might coincide with the big vision as well. But I just find myself getting very, very flat. Now, of course, I'm going to be super biased and that's who I am, like you said, so I'm going to always advocate it. But I just thought, well, imagine a world where everyone's going nuts and it's not just like you're a slave to the wage and you got to get the company's tattoo on your forehead and that's all you can ever think about. Mm. What would it look like if even the leader of the business said, hey, uh, one day a fortnight for the whole Friday, I just want you to work on some sort of project in the business or outside of it. And we don't care about the results of it. We just want you to try and explore what we could create. Got an example, Steve, of what that could example of that be? Yeah. Well, examples are like, let's say I work, let's say I work for a construction company. Yeah. Construction company. Right. Well, obviously so much of the construction industry is, you know, has a design element to it. Hmm. Right. So what, imagine you had a, able team member for an entire eight hours just thinking about what the future of their projects could look like mm. and what spaces they could get into what they might want to try what they want to what they want to make uh for example even this thing right now imagine company leaders opened up their world and said guys do you want to make a podcast for our business mm-hmm. and every friday you guys get to hang around with beers and talk about the future of our industry and what we're working on and thinking about as a company. I know the value of that would be insane. How quickly do you think uh, that would turn into another thing to do at work? We just turn into work, you know? So the boss has said, Hey guys, you want to have this podcast? You can have beers or whatever. Yeah. Great. Then the boss starts listening to the podcast and starts giving him some advice and saying, Hey, you know, I didn't really like this. You got to do that. And all of a sudden, but I think that's one of the prerequisites. KPI. I think that's one of the prerequisites, though, is you don't tie any outcome to it. Mm. That's so. That is. That's almost going against, maybe not completely, but I think it's almost going against human nature to not tie any outcome to an activity. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Isn't that there creativity is, though, at its core? Yeah, I guess it depends what you mean by outcome. If you mean financial outcome, I'm with you there. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, let's go I mean, with that. Let's go financial outcome. I mean, like, yeah, like we don't care whether the podcast gets four listeners. All we care about is you four lads jumping on the table hmm. every Friday and talking about what you think this, where this industry is going and what you guys have been thinking about and where you're running into roadblocks. Now, Just that's going to me as the boss because I'm paying for these people to sink beers. Because I know that they would get exactly the same amount of work done, whether they stretched it out over five days or whether they stretched it out over four. And I guarantee if they've got the opportunity to be like, Fridays are sweet, man. I love Fridays because I get to kind of work on the business. This is the, this is the sell to the leader because he's probably getting bogged down as well. He wants to get to the point where he can work on the business, but get so tied up into the day-to-day runnings. 
so that you do that long enough, you just eventually resent and hate the business you're in because you're just tied to it, right? Mm. So I think the exact same amount of production would happen if my theory would be is it I think it would actually you'd get more production. It's that whole theory of you're going on holidays next week, <laughs> knowing that you're going to have some time off and away from it. How much, how much does your productivity lift the week leading up to your holiday? Yeah knowing that you need to get some stuff in order because you want to create some freedom for yourself there. I think exactly the same thing would happen if you knew, hey, Fridays are our creativity day. Get your work done Monday to Thursday. Because I just know myself and everyone we coach, you're not productive 100% of your time anyway. And to think mm. that that's achievable is insanity because it's mm. just not human. Yeah. So instead of Burn pretend- yourself out in nine days. Yeah. So instead of like, and I think I see this in companies too, hey, Das, where they're KPI'd so hard that it squishes the life out of them. And all of a sudden they're like, how, how much talk time do you have, right? And all of a sudden they're just like determined by how much time they spend talking on the phone. I think so those days are going. What do you think, Steve, then? Is, is the outcome for the leader, he or she at the helm, who, as Diff said, is paying for their time, if they're not, if the leader isn't paying for content marketing success or yep. a particular amount of listeners or an audience that they can use to, you know, metrically justify, then what is the leader getting out of? Do you think they're getting better work culture? You know, a, a better, uh, more, more tenure in how long people stay with the company? What do you think they are measuring out of it at the end of the day? I think the number one thing that you could and this is the problem, right? I think some people are way too tangible about this. I think this one, and I think it links to culture, but I think the number one thing they get out of it is energetically on Monday, the people are keen to come back. Mm. And I think if you can foster that, where people are literally excited to come back to work again and be like, yeah, yeah, keen. Let's see what we can make and create this week. The results of that would far outweigh someone trying to pummel their employees into 60 hours a week and massively KPI'd. I actually think they'll do better work. I think they'll do creative work. I think they'll come up with at least one good idea maybe in the year. But that one good idea could be completely life-changing for the organization at large. And I think I would rather bet on that possibly happening then always trying to micromanage and force people into a very rigid KPI structure. Now, again, it's not going to work for every industry, but, you know, since COVID hit and, and the whole ways of work has changed, all of a sudden these like preconceived ideas that we held onto so strongly, like everyone has to come into the office. Mm. Like I remember that. that was not too long ago where the idea of like a remote workforce was kind of like, oh, how are we going to manage them? Yeah. Then all yeah. of a sudden people went home and realized, oh, I can take my kids to school and I'm cool with that because now I can run a little bit of my own flexible calendar. So when I'm actually at work, I do great work. And I think that's the pursuit. It's like, how do you get people doing great work, not just work? And that's what's exciting. Then you add into the whole talent shortage, the whole great resignation, the whole, what do we really want to be doing in life? And I think they're going to be the companies that are going to get all the talent because they actually understand what people want in the, in the modern world. So I think there's a real opportunity for people that are ballsy and have a crack at going, like, just make whatever the heck you want. 
do you think it's a do you think it's a pipe dream at all that every person no matter what they're doing can enjoy their work like that's mm. possible for people for you know is does work always have to be difficult or you know are there always going to be times that it's difficult yes yeah, you can totally. enjoy it in the long run but there's going to be some times that are really really hard um you know for, for what percentage of people is going to work something that they have to do rather than want to do it would have to be pretty high the way that you hear people talk oh, about work be a far far majority yeah so, it'd be the so majority. is it so is it possible like what needs to change for those people is it the work environment is it them is it their approach to work the school well, system what please tell me more <laughs> well the school the school system doesn't teach people how to think in a way that's required for them to understand how they could create their own roles, think innovatively. It teaches them what to remember and then, and then assesses them based on their ability to remember that with a B plus or a C minus. Like it doesn't, the school system is where it all begins and I think is a major, major problem in people's dissatisfaction with their work life. Because how many people have gone to school, come out of it and gone, oh, thank God in my adult life I learned that in year nine because that's helped me i think it all starts at the start yeah i guess it depends on what you mean by that helped me i do enjoy that we have an actual qualified like person that spent <laughs> yeah. like a good chunk of their entire lives in academics <laughs> i must say i must say i must say as i did that okay i've got the funniest story in the world to tell you and this is exactly how i felt as i just said that i've got a mate um i won't say his name but he knows who he is and steve you know who he is as well they were at their year 12, um, they were at their year 12 graduation. And uh, they obviously had a few beers because it's grad and everyone's having a good time. And anyway, this mate of ours walks into the toilet, like walks, walks into the men's urinal and sees his mate up against the urinal, you know, taking care of what he needs to take care of. Um, and from behind looks like he's just got long blonde locks. And so my mate walks up to him, just pushes him from behind, like into the urinal as this big joke. <laughs> and realizes he's pushed just some random bloke. He's pushed the wrong guy. He's thinking it was his mate. So the bloke's just gone slamming into the urinal, put his hands out like square onto the urinal to save himself as any man would. And then he turns around and he's just like, what the hell, mate? Like, what? And yeah, my mate was just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were someone completely else. Anyway, as I just said that, that's how I felt. I was like, it's the school system. And then I realized, oh man, I just said that to him. Oh, he's about to turn around and see it was me who said it. <laughs> that's how I felt. But anyway, let's go uh, dig it. Push me into the urinal, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that sometimes we've got to be careful about the way we express that last idea that you said which is, um, oh, who, you know, who's ever gotten, you know, they're 25 and they're like, oh, I'm so glad I learned that thing in year nine. Like, that's the part that I think we've got to be careful about because depending on what that thing in year nine is, it's not just about what you learn, the content. It's about what is it doing to you? And mm. a lot of that stuff is invisible. So you, don't, you didn't really realize when you were going through school necessarily all the things that were happening to you as a learner. Now, I'm one of the biggest critics of the school system out there, right? Uh, but it's just about nuance of language. So I, I don't want anyone to get the impression that what that means is that schools need to become more practically oriented to preparing people for work in the sense of giving people the 
particular skills or the particular knowledges that they need for a particular field. I think that's the problem. That's the that specialization that's come down is why you have to learn about cell structure in year eight science, because then you need that in order to be able to learn the next thing in year nine. And then you need that in order to be able to do biology in year 11 and 12. And apparently you need that in order to be able to, in case you want to go off and be a doctor or be a nurse or whatever. Hmm. But the truth is you could learn that stuff in university. Now I'm not saying that that stuff's necessarily bad. I'm just saying we've got to question the motivation for why we need to learn these things at the times that we learn them, because everyone has got the idea that school is about preparation for uh, they don't say preparation for work, but they say preparation for a job. And unfortunately, it's that singular, <laughs> a job, mm. the job that I think I'm going to get. And so then you get kids who are in grade nine saying, well, I'm not interested in this. I mm. know exactly what I want to do when I get out of school. And therefore, I'm going to ignore all of these fields uh, that I could be studying because school is about getting a job as opposed to being prepared for life. And a big part of life is work. But the stuff that prepares you well for work real work and i mean work in any field being being a person who can go into the world and make a go of it regardless of what life throws at you the stuff yeah. that prepares you for that is the stuff that you would probably be better suited to say is just preparing you for life it's yeah. just wisdom it's the ability to be able to think well to be able to hear what people are saying to be able to process that well and then to be able to do something productive with that and See, i don't think school teaches us that no, I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely yeah. agree. But the question is, is the remedy what you think it might be? Because oh, I doubt it. I've, no. I've, put, I've put way more thought into the problem over the solution. Yeah. But that's, that's, here's probably a good chance to have the chat. Well, the, the remedy, people want to say that the remedy is teaching soft skills, teaching critical thinking, for example. And no one really necessarily defines what that means, yeah. but teaching critical thinking and for, and for some reason, we got the idea that, oh, they're not very good in, it in year nine, so we need to introduce it earlier. And kids were crap at it in eight and seven and six and five, and all of a sudden, we're doing it in grade two. Yeah. So, like, that's a problem. Mm. And there's been some great reports that have come out in the last six to 12 months, one of them by a guy, a Professor Sweller, who looked into the problem of inquiry-based learning introduced at the wrong time in life. Because Interesting. in order to do critical thinking, you have to have a knowledge base about yeah. which to think. You can't do critical thinking if you don't have anything to think about. Yeah, if you're, just, so, if you're at the stage of learning the difference between primary and secondary colours, and uh, you're like... Absolutely. What but is not blue? Only that. I don't know, it's there. It's just on the thing. It's on the palette. Just do the art thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Really yeah. great book, uh, education book by an educational theorist called Edie Hirsch called Why Knowledge Matters. And he, he makes the argument that until you have... Uh, a certain bedrock of knowledge. If you go and read a book that relies on that prior knowledge for you to be able to make sense of that book, you can't make sense of that book. That book is nothing to you. Mm. What you do is you're reading something. And I think everyone would have had this experience as long as you read stuff, right? You're reading something and you come across a word that you don't understand. And what's your natural reaction to doing? What would you do, Das? Now, you might not be a good example, but you can still tell me what, what do you do if you come across a word you don't understand? And I'm reading like a, like a, a fiction book or something like that. Fiction article online, whatever. I, w- I would keep, I would keep reading. Yeah. You keep reading. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Now everyone in their mind is like, Oh, I'd look it up. Right. Because yeah. you can do that now with the internet. It's so amazing. Etymology, but baby. But I we do. don't. Yeah. Well, there you go. So some people, yeah, but do. it's got a, the, the, what you're reading has got to mean a lot to you. Right. Like, so for example, I've been, 
fascinated by this NFT world over the last 24 to 48 hours, right? Yep. But I was reading a book on it and it contained a word I didn't know the answer to or the definition of, I would, I would look it up. But if I was reading about anything else right now, probably no, not. No, but I think that's where the beauty is. And I, I, was, I met up with a guy yesterday afternoon. He was talking to me about leadership and he, he, you know, he, he, uh, he works with, with high school kids and all the way through. And he's like, you know, how do, we, how do I develop stronger leadership skills? And one thing I recommend to as many people as I can, I've got a bookmark on my phone, etymology.com, etymology yeah. of words. And the more that you can understand just the, the ancestry of where these words came from, you get such a deeper understanding, particularly with the English language, because it's just a butchered up language from what I can see of mm. all sorts of weird stuff. So when you actually go back and, you know, and for those that have traveled, you'll know this, you know, you, you meet someone, they're like, ah, uh, don't have a word in English, but we say blah, blah, blah. And it kind of means blah, blah, blah. And immediately most people light up. You're like, oh, that's a cool word. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't. I don't really have a word for that, you know, and the, that I think it's the Danish word like hygge or hygge or whatever, hygge, H-Y-G-G-E. And it's like the feeling that a space can give you from a well-being aesthetic point of view. Like we don't have an English word for that, but there's certain rooms and spaces that you go into that have hygge, right? Mm. They got a word for it. So you understand that you're like, cool. Now I'm starting to think about the aesthetic of the space that I'm in and what does it make me feel? Right. So there's English words like that where you go go all the way back. So I think that's a it's a critical point of and maybe it's why you love, you know, going back in time, diff. You seem to go more backwards than forwards. I'm more probably going forwards than backwards, but maybe that's where it starts to to intersect. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're kind of exactly going where I was gonna go, right? Because the point is one of some of the things that you that you recognize there is that when you investigate that thing that you don't know, then you gain some knowledge, right? That's, that's what you do. How did you, when you think about it, how did you really learn anything, particularly from a really young age? What you're doing all the time is listening and at a really, really young age, you're listening and you're, you're putting together ideas with words. So you're building a knowledge foundation. Hmm. And then you've, you know, by the time you're four or whatever, You've got words for everything that you can see. For everything in your immediate understanding, you've got words for them. How do you get knowledge outside of that? How do you gain knowledge for, of things which you, you don't have interaction with every day? The primary way of doing that is books. Right? Now, these days, it's probably not books. It's media, it's TV, yeah. it's movies, yeah. stuff like that. And so you can be talking to a kid and all of a sudden they know Spanish. How the heck does this four-year-old know Spanish? door of the explorer okay mm. and they didn't realize they were learning it <clears throat> but that's exactly what happened so if you stop or if there are what, what happens is if you do not engage in these kind of tiers of learning or tiers of knowledge building you build a knowledge base and that gives you the capacity the ability to be able to read something and then that fills in a next layer of knowledge base and then you can read something a bit higher and that fills in the next uh, layer of knowledge base. If you don't have them, let's say you've never read any books on history and then you pick up um, or you don't know anything about history, documentaries or whatever. And then you pick up A Tale of Two Cities. Most of what's going on in A Tale of Two Cities is going to go over your head. Mm. There's going to be words there that don't mean anything to you. If you're the kind of person that is interested in learning and growing and is kind of grappling with the challenge of this unknown stuff, your brain can do pretty amazing things where it basically intuits what mm. the meaning of the word is. And you would have done this heaps of times. You read the same word 
uh, multiple times in a book or in an article. You never bother to go and look it up. But by the end of it, you're pretty sure you know what it means mm. because of the context that's been repeated over and over. That's your brain kind of filling in some gaps. Now, you can do that and be absolutely wrong. Um, but most of the time, you've got it worked out. So the point that I was making in all of this is that building a strong knowledge base is required in order to be able to build further knowledge. Mm. Knowledge is a prerequisite of itself. In order to be able to read stuff and make sense of stuff, you need to have prior knowledge. Really, really good example from an article that I read recently. And I'm not, I'm, I might not remember the specifics, but two sentences saying, saying something like this. Um, we canceled our hotel. Uh, we canceled our vacation plans to Miami. My wife could only get time off in uh, July. Two sentences. Now, when you read those sentences, you might not. You might be like, okay, cool, old mate, whoever it is, canceled the plans to go on vacation to Miami. There is actually a gap between those two sentences. There is implied meaning. There's an assumption. There's prior knowledge that you need in order to be able to put together the larger meaning there. And that is that Miami is really uncomfortably hot in the middle of summer. And so you wouldn't go to vacation to Miami in July. Does that make sense? Mm. If you don't know where Miami is, if you don't understand, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere and you, and you don't know about Northern Hemisphere differences in seasons, if you don't know that it's really hot, then that's just two sentences that make both of them make perfect sense in and of themselves. But there's a layer of meaning there that you completely missed. And that's because you don't have prior knowledge. Mm. And the argument is this is happening to us all the time. When we speak to each other, there's so many gaps that we don't fill in. There's so many things that we don't say to each other because we have prior knowledge of it. We, we, we know what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And so really good communicators are able to work out, well, what are the gaps that I need to make sure I fill for this person? This is one of the reasons why poetry is, is not necessarily enjoyed to the same extent that it used to be because mm. poetry speaks at an elevated stylistic language. Poetry leaves gaps on purpose. Yeah. Poetry is more about creating an emotion mm. rather than telling you explicitly what's going on. What's the, what's the diametric opposite to poetry? It would be like a dot point list of instructions where they're sure. telling you everything the you need. The recipe of a cake. Exactly. I love, and then there's um, a poetic way to describe, you know, the, the, the cake construction. But poetry requires prior knowledge. So much poetry doesn't mean anything to mm. people unless they've got the prior knowledge. So if you're, yeah, there's a great song by Trivium, my favorite band. Um, and it's called, it's called Torn Between Skiller and Carbides. That doesn't mean anything to anybody unless you know Greek mythology and you know that Scylla was this whirlpool in the, uh, in, in, in the ocean at one point in time. And Carbides, I might have this the wrong way around, and Carbides was a, a monster that lived in the side of a cliff and would come out. And you had to kind of narrowly get in a ship between, this is from the Odyssey, between the whirlpool which was kind of you know um sinking ships it looked as a looked like a monster or kind of turned into a monster and this monster that lived in the cliff and it's where we get the expression caught between a rock and a hard place mm. and so if you hear caught between a rock and a hard place or if you hear torn you know torn between or caught between skiller and carbides if you don't have this background knowledge that whole thing's just gone over your head it didn't mm. mean anything to you and we are really really happy with letting stuff go over our head we just because it happens to us all the time all this stuff that we don't understand and we're just kind of walking around so the question is how much 
layers of meaning and significance and stuff that's going on in the world we completely blind to because we're not constantly attempting or wanting to build our knowledge base mm. there's a there's this scene in the simpsons where um they're at a uh like a, an or- orchestra of sorts and i think it's lisa is st- sitting next to this man who's looking clearly bored and uh and he says something along the lines of you know this is boring and lisa says well you have to listen to the notes she's not playing and he goes oh well, i can do that at home <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's that reminds me of of poetry of what you've just described it's like it's yeah yeah it's yeah it's the whole thing um so so talking about the schooling system yes there what's missing is the ability is filling in a foundation for people to be able to become better learners so the reason i was saying that was because i was like maybe the answer isn't what you'd expect Mm -hmm. because i would suggest that the answer is learning a whole bunch of facts that you got to memorize and they're, they're not boring, disconnected facts. They're storied facts. It's history. Mm. It's, it's mythology. It's understanding the, <clears throat> the story of who we are as people but I think- uh, and reading a lot of great literature because that, that builds a foundation and now you can make more sense of the world that you're presented with. I think, you gotta, I think we've got to trick kids into wanting that though. And what I mean by that is like, here's, here's, one of, here's one of my like highest visions and hopefully I get there one day and we've got enough you know, sloppy banked cash that we can just do it. Right. (laughs) So like, I have no idea why there isn't like the school of entrepreneurship built into built into high school. I just have no idea why that is not a thing. I have no idea why really, really, really successful people that have gone on to create something for the world. Don't volunteer their time to feed into the next generation to start fostering the next level of entrepreneurship, but also to foster talent that could funnel back into their own businesses. Now, when you're a 12 and 13 year old kid, you're caring about yourself, full stop, like done deal. I was, it's like, what girlfriend can I have? How can I be cool? Like, it's all about you. Can I get a large Macca's meal, not a small one? Yeah, why do I have to do this? This is boring. When am I ever going to use this in life, right? So my kids, right, we're homeschooling our girls and we're loving it. And one of the projects I'm helping our girls do again this year is helping them formulate, write, draw, publish, market, and sell their own book. Now, within that is so much learning of facts. (laughs) This is going to cost this much. We could sell it for this much. That means you can have this much money in between. How are we going to market it? How How many numbers? Like we're doing maths. We're doing drawing. We're doing English. We're doing full stops. We're doing commas. We're doing all sorts of stuff. We're doing story. We're doing narrative. We're doing the hero's journey. We're doing all of it. And so I think where most of it goes wrong is we go, all right, you need to know this algebra. You're like, yeah, but then what? on top of it, right, you're, you're also doing that. And here's how we're going to sell it. Here's how you yep. add up the dollars you make. Here's how yep. you put it on a website. This is what a website is. This yep. is- what are you saving up for? What do you, what would you like to have? What's yeah, goal setting? Yeah. So like, this is where I think the whole like school of entrepreneurship like means that we can have these selfish kids for lack of a better term, get their selfish gains and then weave in Through all of the creating value fathers because you can fail. And there's like, the kids don't need to sell a blockbuster so that they can pay the mortgage and, you know, make sure that the car yeah. payments are done. There is, there is <laughs> the seven... concerned if that's where we're at. <laughs> right. yeah. Exactly. Like that's what I mean by this kind of concept of, 
don't tie an actual outcome to it. Just give them space to learn, learn and fail. So one of my big dreams is how cool would it be, Das, if we get to a point where, you know, the, the Smythe and Clayton Foundation like tips in, you know, a million dollars a year into particular schooling systems where there is the opportunity for kids to come up with, create, make, write, sell, code, whatever they wish. And that's what I mean by like, imagine if that started right from the beginning, every Friday was work on your own project day. Mm. Mm. And there's just a bunch of teachers and a bunch of mentors teaching them all the stuff that they had to know anyway. Mm. But there's so much more personal gain in that because now they're like, I'm writing a book. I'm building a business. I'm coding an app, whatever it may be. I think the, um, take take the example of the 12 to 13 year old kids. I, I totally with you, by the way, but I just think that the, what's that word? Uh, it's not, um, oh, it'll come to me. You'll know it when I'm describing it, where the thing that you're trying to do is in complete opposite to wherever you'd be trying to do it. Mm. Meaning if you want to teach an entrepreneurship school, the fact is that most entrepreneurs don't think in the way that school do. I always see this like at universities, there's a course for entrepreneurship. And it's like, if you're teaching entrepreneurship at university, you're missing the entire point. Like an entrepreneur doesn't think in terms of how a university would teach you. And that's why I think it's actually better place. No? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Onomatopoeia? Yeah. <laughs> I love that word. That is a ripping word. <laughs> I, don't that, oh. I don't know what it means. But Onomatopoeia anyway. is when the word itself sounds like the thing that it is. Uh, For example, splash. Yeah, brilliant. It's yeah. a good one. But we're that's why about, I think... We're just talking about onomatopoeia. Diff- yeah. yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah, that's right. The listeners, the listeners, right? That's the the listeners don't know. The listeners can't see the video, so they don't know that Diff just had to leave the room and go... <laughs> Yeah, that's why. I haven't yeah. been here for the last three minutes. No, it's all I good. the uh, poetic devices chat, obviously. Yeah, yeah no, that's it. No, but but that's, that's, you, yeah, that's, where ahead, I, that's, that's where I think it's best placed in school. I really, I really believe it. And it's, I, I don't, I don't get why it's not an elective. And I think it has to be elective. You, you know, if a kid doesn't want to be a flippant entrepreneur or doesn't want to, you know, create something or write something, whatever, don't, don't do it. But I the fact that it's not even an option it's like mm. you do sport on wednesday afternoon you do your math science and english religion whatever else you want to learn and then if you're not into that go get a trade no the but the fact there, that it's no, not an is, option there is it, there's, it's business and there's a whole bunch of different yeah. business classes that really promote promote entrepreneurs so there's one called the uh gee what's it called 20 20 boss or something like that so these programs uh where you know, you give a kid, you give a kid 20 bucks. So you got 50, 15 kids in the class or whatever, you give them all 20 bucks and they've got to try to, they come up with a plan. They've got to get together and they've got to use that. They've got to invest it and they've got to try to make more money by the end of it. So that there are programs like that. Um, I mean, I don't think it's open slather though. No, I mean, this is always the difficulty with schools, you know, in that you cannot, um, a system that, is built around checks and balances, which report cards are basically checks and balances and accreditation mm. and stuff like that. It makes it really, really difficult to be able to have something as open as what you're talking about. I don't disagree that that, but that, that kind of links to our the original discussion of we, we tie so much utility to these things mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of giving people free space to explore and try. And I think that's like, I just bet on it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you get, if you tried it for a year, 
and nothing good came out of it, fair enough. But I'd be betting on that if you gave people that white space and you didn't tie utility to it, it wasn't tied to a report card of how well you did entrepreneurship, but rather giving people the opportunity just to try and explore and create. I think the outcomes of that would be far greater than trying to tie utility to it. Oh, I don't disagree. I, I actually think uh, reporting reporting and, and assessing has a way of killing a subject. And mm. when you just uh, create subjects, which you might call something like explorative subjects, for example, and you don't have assessment and therefore you don't report on it. I think that, that it creates, it gives kids the freedom to fail, which is what you really need. That's what you, you really mean, need man. to just be able to fail and it doesn't matter and no one's going to kind of rev you for it. I'll tell you though, at a school that I've worked at in the past, we did that and parents were annoyed and angry that it didn't appear on the report card. So who is it that's kind of driving stuff? You know, what a kid, what do parents want to see? And, you know, there was some actually, as, as, mm. as many of them might've been not great reasons. There were some good reasons. One of them was my kid's not good at anything and they did so well in this class and you didn't put that class on the report card. It would have been the one bright moment in the report card for them. And mm. then I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's something that um, is, is at least that's a positive reason rather than just saying, I want to know what my kids got so I can either reward them or punish them. But my question would be how much of that stuff, and I genuinely believe this, how much of what you're talking about can be taught without being explicitly taught? How much of, because, because you didn't get taught that, Steve, mm. you didn't do that. And yet here you are. And Darth mm. didn't get taught that. And yet here he is. And so you obviously don't need it. And I wonder if explicitly teaching it narrows it and, and, and narrows it down to thinking, these set of things of skills or this set of or this way of working is entrepreneurial and nothing else is as opposed to recognizing that the skills that you need to be an entrepreneur are skills that you pick up all over the place and if you're a learner who loves learning you're always improving your entrepreneurial skill set because mm. everything that you do conversations that you have that's why learning to learn learning to be able to learn from everything all of the time is such an important part of it mm. as opposed to saying we need this subject it, the the the, the, the uh, narrowing down and the specialization and saying this is a subject that you learn as opposed to uh, this is just part of life i think is really problematic in schools it's like no no this is maths we don't do x y and z here we just do maths and this is uh, science and so I don't care if you can spell or whatever in science you know you just I, I realized you were trying to write you know microcosm even though you didn't spell it properly and and what we're doing is we're teaching kids that their brain and their life is like in these silos when you're here only this matters when you're yeah. here only this matters yeah. and you can suck at this because it's 1205 it doesn't matter anymore what you were doing at 1204 and life is not like that. The things that we do are all interconnected. So pulling things apart and having these separate disciplines and saying, this is where you learn these skills. I think that's part of the problem. You can teach entrepreneurial skills in, in every other subject. And, and, and why have subjects at all? I mean, how uh, that's getting a little bit extreme potentially, but really um, you're teaching English in science because kids are always talking I mean, people are always communicating Mm. Uh, and, and that that's an unnatural siloing off of skills and i think that's where you get people that are really good at one thing rubbish at everything else 
And that's not good for society. No, totally. And this, like, look, you can't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater either, right? Like, you know, my, my wife's teaching our kids around the dark ages at the moment. I didn't even know what the dark ages were, but it's essentially when people didn't know how to read and write. And then the, the Catholics came in and said, man, if we're going to teach them the Bible, they need to know how to read and write. So they taught a whole bunch of people how to read and write and they pulled themselves out of the dark ages. Like, oh, that's pretty kind of, that's pretty kind of interesting and I think that is a core fundamental. If you don't know numbers, if you don't know how to articulate and communicate well, and you don't know how to write, good luck to you in this world. Like they're just like the mm-hmm. building blocks of just life. <laughs> but I think it does get to a point where we can add a whole lot more creativity and a whole lot more white space mm-hmm. and a whole lot more. Like I was listening to a little like Gary Vaynerchuk video, you know, he does little tidbits every now and then. And this kid walks up to him. He's like, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to help the world. What do I do? And Gary had a really good answer. He goes, learn, learn how to lose over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Cause that's entrepreneurship. It's just consistently knowing how to lose. <laughs> and he's like, the kid obviously didn't like that response. You could see on his face. Like Gary's like, yeah, that's the answer, bro. But it's true. Like, and that's why I think school is the ultimate high school, particularly is the ultimate position is if we can, change the definition of losing and trying and failing and creating and not tying utility to it. What better time to spend five years trying stuff? Yeah. Now kids, now kids do this anyway. This is why they go take drugs and go get hammered and go like, go, they want to go explore anyway. So why not give them a really open and safe place to explore, but with, you know, with the idea of going back to the meeting I had with this guy yesterday, he's like, what do you, what do you see in the future generations that you're excited about? And I said, genuinely, we need to empower these kids because we're going to move ourselves into a state of this world where there is problems that only they can solve. And I think that should always be the goal, passing them mm. to the next generation. Like guys, we did our best. You guys got to take what, like standing on the shoulders of giants. We've been doing it forever. Right. But like willingly embedding that into the schooling system, like guys, it's up to you to figure this out. We don't have the answers. I would love to see what kids, when given that opportunity, what they could go on to create and do. I just don't see kids given that opportunity in a really big way. So yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen to, I'm keen to, I don't know, play my part in that, whatever that looks like over the next 10 years. Because I know as a kid, I was sitting in like, I took SOS, whatever that <laughs> stood for, because it meant I had more spares. And really all I did was play guitar. Like that's because I wanted to, like, that's what I wanted to do. But if I had given the opportunity, like, hey, bro, every Wednesday for three hours, make something, work on something, try something, build something. What do you want to create? Um, I was doing that anyway with guitar. Imagine if that was honed with mentorship. Imagine if that was honed with wisdom and experience. I would have been, I, I have no doubt I'd be 10 years ahead of where I am now. Like, so. Yeah, it's, we're, we're really missing what was the old model, which is the apprentice model. We're really missing yeah. this, you know, an older mentor teaching and bringing up someone in particular skill set, but then also basically wanting them to surpass them, wanting them to go further than them. That mentorship model, uh, apprentice model, I think is huge. It, the problem is, uh, in general, in society, we have uh, professionalized and farmed that off to schools. And we've said, schools, you've got to get it done. And then we look at the state of youth and we think, oh, it's the school's fault. 
as <laughs> if, as in as if it were possible for one person standing in front of 30 15 year olds to be able to have the kind of impact that we know they need to have when they've got to get through a whole bunch of curriculum that the government kind of is forcing them through everybody needs to recognize that the next generation is their responsibility and you can't farm it off to teachers who who are getting paid minimum wage to try to get through a bunch of curriculum that they kind of don't really even believe in themselves Mm. what a system sign me up um <laughs> you mean sign you up to mentor some young apprentices i love well, it uh, yeah sign me up the um the i was watching uh, afterlife the other day ricky gervais afterlife and there's a season there is a scene from season two where he's speaking to this old woman who goes to the same grave site as him it's such a good note she said there's a particular quote from history and it said um the 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 brilliance of life relies on men who plant trees for which they'll never experience the shade. Mm. Mm. And it's like, imagine if that were the goal, your goal here on life is to simply make the next generation's life better for people that you'll never see or never meet. Mm. And if every, and if those people did that as well for their next generation, imagine what could be accomplished. It's the ultimate humility. I believe Mm. the ultimate not making it about you. The thing is, kids have got that ambition, tolerance to risk, and naivety to get it started as well, right? Yeah, if only yeah. they were believed in. Like, and and you got to let them fail. You got to let like them you, fail. You really do. I mean, I, I remember when I was when I was pretty young. Um, I was given a bunch of opportunities in my first proper job, which was uh, as a uh, trainee in video production, basically. And I just had a couple of the, a couple of people who are older than me in in the company, uh, who w- were much older than me and really had control over the finances and everything. Absolutely, just believed in what it does for a young person to be thrown into the deep end and to be thrown around the world. So I travelled the world making documentaries for this company, and I really was I was twenty, you know, nineteen. Um, it was a it was a massive deal, and I. I, I wasn't necessarily given a whole bunch of structure. They kind of said, these are the things that we want you to do, go out and do it. And I remember at one point in time, I completely misunderstood a contract or, or the way that some royalty, it's not royalty free because you, you got to pay for it, but the way that uh, paying for some music for a documentary that I made, how that worked. I thought if I used the same 30 seconds of a song that I only had to pay for it once. So I used that multiple times throughout it. Then I got the bill back and it was like six and a half thousand dollars instead of six hundred dollars. And you know, there was nowhere on the budget for that. And this great guy, the business manager, uh, I had to go, you know, tail between my legs and say, listen, I'm really sorry. There's literally nothing we can do about this. We have to pay this. What it, you know, what what do we do? And he just said, You you are gonna learn from this. You're really gonna learn from this. And we can pay for it and we'll work it out. Uh, but this is good, this is good for you. And he didn't rip it through me or anything. He, he was like, and it's not like it was like, oh, after that, all the opportunities, you know, dried up because Diff can't be trusted to read stuff properly. It just increased and it's etched mm. in my mind. And giving people the ability to fail without ripping it through them because they failed is massive. Mm. Completely changes someone from thinking, I'm scared to do anything because I could get it wrong to realizing that every, everybody's, in that, everybody's in that category. And so just give it a crack and just 
you know, back yourself because nine times out of 10, it's going to go well. Mm. And I think, I think you spoke to something there too, as well, Diff, which I've, I've reflected on in my life and I've been flipping thankful for is just the power, like you're talking about of that apprenticeship mentorship model. Like that really works when the leader also believes in the person that they're investing into. Um, and I think it's what leaders actually really want is to be able to mentor. Um, but maybe they're just so caught in the day-to-day firefighting or they don't mm. believe enough in their people that they ever realize that they are a mentor already. Mm. And I think like that's where there's a big shift as well. Like I was reading some articles around like the future of work and, and the attraction of talent and this whole great resignation type thing. And they're saying that people are going to job opportunities not necessarily from a financial gain point of view or even from a status point of view anymore, but rather what they can learn from the leaders and from the CEOs and from like what, what sort of environment does it foster for personal development and growth? And I, I'm partly thinking of this podcast right now. Like we don't understand the effect of this that it might have for future employees of our company, but they're like, I like what these guys are talking about. They're not just talking about business all the time. They actually Mm. wanted to learn about some pretty deep stuff. I want to learn about some pretty deep stuff. I want to grow in life and not just make money and clock on nine to five. And that's where I'm seeing a bit of a, a bit of a fork in the road where people are starting to realize, ah, we've almost, uh, we've almost evolved as a Western world to the point now where we've never lived in a better time ever. So maybe that's part of it. Now we've got to a point of a solid foundation where we're not starving and we don't know if the electricity is going to be on and we don't yes. know if food's going to be there. It's like, okay, we've got to a point now where quality of life is pretty good. We might be able to think on a deeper level now. I think the companies that, that grab that early are going to get a massive advantage and an early move advantage. Um, but it's scary because you don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, especially if your company hasn't done it before. You know, if you've been a long-standing company for the last 40 years, you were formed in the 1980s. 1982. And that, that is, that's a different working world for your, for your genesis. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have an interesting question for you. This is a ripper. One I've always wondered the answer to. Perhaps we need some sort of IT specialist on. But Diff, you were saying before about the idea of knowledge is required to build on knowledge. Okay. My question is... Because what you've said there, that's a, that's, a, um, that's a functional sentence you've just made. The, in order for knowledge to function, it requires knowledge. And then the classic question is, well, where does the knowledge come? And then where does that knowledge come? And then you end up back in your guys' perspective as some sort of, I'm sure, religious discussion, right? I don't want to go there yet. Save that for episode 79. Uh, <laughs> what I'm interested in is the creation of a computer. Yeah. So in order for a computer to run, it's all based on ones and zeros, right? At its core, at its the core of its DNA. Well, how did you teach the computer what a one was and what a zero was? How What was the first line of code that created code? Hmm. That gets me. That boggles my mind. This means open. This means closed. Yeah, but but... How do you even, because, because, okay, what does open mean? You're like, well, it means ABC. Okay, well, what does A mean? 
it means X, Y, Z. Okay, well, it's, the same, it's the same though as the creation of language, right? Totally. So, totally. Yeah. But, but so, so shouldn't we actually hold the answers to how language was created through how we created a computer? Shouldn't it just be the same cycle just repeated some millennia later? Well, I think it is. And I think so this is why... What was it? That's the answer well, there. I think this is why you end up being, like, for me anyway, you get to a point of intelligent design. It's just like No, it's... no, no, but there can't be, though, because I get it. I get all of that. But literally someone we know actually created the computer. So why don't we go ask them? Like, my, my understanding is that it didn't... Someone probably somewhat still alive. I don't... Oh, maybe not, actually. It didn't not start far off with... It, it didn't start with someone saying, this means open and this means closed. It actually started with things being open and closed. Right. Oh boy. So, so, I mean, you go back to punch cards. That's, that's our early computers where these, you know, huge, huge rooms with these, with these pieces of card that had all mm-hmm. these holes in them. And either there was a hole there or, or there wasn't there and that's open and closed and then open and closed or one or a zero would mean either there's a signal going through electricity or there's not. And then you kind of have that series of that going on. Now, I don't know very much about it, but at some point in time, based upon all of you know that mechanism, that kind of uh, hardware mechanism going on in the background, you can transfer, you can use that to transfer into software. So at some point in time, you could take that hardware literally on, off, on, off, and enough of it to be able to say, this now means that in code. I mean, that's a huge leap. That would have yeah, been a yes. massive leap. Massively. Ah, it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's nuts. It doesn't get spoken about enough. Talk about taking something for granted. Oh, no, man. I see it. Like, when we're working on our own tech platform and then, <laughs> you know, the, the boys open up the back end, you're just like, all of that gibberish turns into that? Like, you're just like, how yeah. does it even know to do that? Like, it actually is mind-boggling that you could write a language and then that language can kind of translate into some sort of reality it is wild to really really think about so it look is it up Darcy. you can give us the answer next week right? yeah. you, you're interested in knowing this so go and find out and find out <laughs> yeah sounds you, give, you give us a 60 you give us a 60 minute thing hey i want to i want to change gears slightly here because uh it was our original discussion and we fell down a school hole which i think is relevant because i think it builds the foundation of what we're going to go next but we originally thought when we started this podcast like what's broken with the current workforce and what are we seeing is changing? Um, and I want to round out the conversation on that and then finish off with our, uh, our three cents on that. Cause I think it, mm. it'd be a nice sort of flow from school into the current workforce and where we think it's going next. But when you say the, when we ask the question, what do we, what do we see is broken in the current workforce? What do you guys see in here? Particularly Diff, you know, it's interesting. You've, you've gone through a lot of change as well over, you know, what you, what you used to be doing in your career to what you're doing now and consulting and doing a whole bunch of stuff and, you know, working with us in the, in the, in the outbound world, even for us, Das, you know, transitioning from, uh, you know, being an employee to being, you know, essentially in the world of entrepreneurship and now having our own team and then going into tech, there's always this, you know, looking forward as we, as we work with our clients and go, I wonder where it's going. What I think really the foundation of this conversation is what I think the last two years have shown us is there's been some really deep systems that we just held as truth that it had to be this way Mm. and it got really shaken up. And I think what it's exposing at the moment is, well, what's broken 
with this current system and what's broken with this current model, particularly when it comes to work. And I think it could be a good way to round out the opening discussion of what does it look like to have a day a week, a day a fortnight, whatever it may be. So, yeah, what do yeah, you think? I'll, I'll answer that. My, my, my thought on that is, and, and uh, employees will have probably the opposite of it, but I believe companies and teams that all work together have a greater understanding and respect and appreciation for each other's roles when everyone in the company know and understand how a business actually operates. What does it mean when we say profit, loss, um, gross profit, net profit, and companies and everyone working in the team would understand a couple of things. So for example, oh, so when we make $100, we don't actually make $100, meaning my boss isn't going home 100 times richer than I am. My boss is actually only making this much out of that. My boss has $10 of net profit that's left over. There you go. There you go. And then also, for example, my boss can drive that car because profit and growth tend to link quite closely with responsibility. And it turns out my boss is walking in those doors every single day with 10,000 tons of responsibility on his or her shoulders that isn't seen and therefore they're earning that amount. And like we've said, Steve, we've had conversations with team members before where they're like, yeah, I learned what my boss deals with every single day. And I used to think I wanted a whole lot more responsibility, but you know what? You can have your higher paycheck and you can have it and you do that and I'll do me. And I'm actually a whole lot happier here now in my position than I actually thought I was. This is great. I'm good here. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what I think. I think education in that sort of sphere would do every company a lot of good in the field of understanding and empathizing with each other. Mm. What do you think, Dave? I firstly absolutely endorse what Dar said. I think I think transparency and you know an awareness helps the that burden that you're talking about, the burden of responsibility to be shared amongst people. You know, I remember working in places and it was like, no, we don't have any money for that, or even not even that. No, we're not going to do that. And mm. there's there's five great reasons why we're not going to go in that direction. But because you decided not to tell that person what they were, they just think you don't like their idea. Yes. And they, may, they might even think you don't like them, you know, and they, they pour their heart into that proposal. And because you've got some sort of weird idea that um, this is not for them to know, I don't mm. want them to understand what's really going on that has disenfranchised them. And now this is just a job. They're not, they're not in this business. They don't care about this business because you're not giving them enough information to be able to care about it. So I back that Darcy. I think that's great. My answer is, you know, I guess, uh, understandably philosophical. And that is, um, I think we need to redeem the idea of work. I think we've lost Mm. the, Mm. the, the deep, deeply held, uh, you know, assumptions, subconscious unconscious beliefs about what the purpose of work really is there was a time that what you did was intimately connected to your place in the world and to and to being an operative in the world well, it was like how we got our last names exactly yeah absolutely. That's what I, was absolutely. I feel that is the case I, I i also understand that a lot of people probably wouldn't feel that and maybe i maybe i identify with my work in too much to that perspective i'm not sure i don't know what is the right amount but i definitely feel as though my work is so linked to why I'm here, you know. Yeah. But uh, maybe I'm lucky. So where, I don't know. where, never where would you say? It. Where would you say that's been? Uh, where Where has that changed? Do you think, Div? What, what? What? How did people used to see work, and how do you see people work, seeing work today? 
Yeah, I, there's a great book on it, an amazing book called uh, Leisure, the Basis of Culture by a uh, German philosopher called Joseph Pieper. And, uh, Peepsy. Peeps. The Peep dog. The Peeper. It's a dense read, but it's amazing. It is so good. And, um, and If you're saying that, Diff, no one's going to be reading that. If you're saying it's a <laughs> yeah, dense read, you said it's a deep read. <laughs> Give it a crack. It's good. It's only short. It's just there's so much going on. It's amazing. So he he really talks about that history, and there's a bunch of history uh, in it. There's uh, to understanding um, why it's changed and when it changed. You know, so the industrial revolution was a huge part of it. You know, all of a sudden mm-hmm. you got people working in factories, really disconnected from the final product of what they're doing. So mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about that telos stuff that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, what's the end? What's the purpose of this? You don't actually see the finished product. You're not engaged, and that this actually comes back to what we're talking about your point does you're not engaged in the final product the the final reason for this happening you're just doing your one little task you're doing it over and over and over again so assembly lines really contributed to that as well and and because productivity and bottom line became the the most determining factor you know the, the highest thing that we're aiming for it disconnected people from and the work that they're doing from the purpose of that work and I think that that has spread into areas. The purpose became really the bottom line. The purpose yep. became revenue. Just all the, for revenue. All the purpose just became, for me individually as a worker, the purpose just became, I'm here to get money. That's the reason I'm mm. here. And, yep. and when, and when mm. the thing that you're doing is only about money, I mean, the money is a really important part, but when it's only about money, of course you're going to live for the weekends. Of oh, course you're going to wait for knockoff time. I mean, if, it makes sense really doesn't thing, it uh, absolutely and yeah. of course you're not going to have any kind of loyalty to the business if someone offers you more money to do something somewhere else that is your final goal that's your telos that's the thing that you're aiming towards and so you're going to make that change so hmm. it's that can that that um conveyor belt uh assembly line uh factory factory worker approach has found its way into businesses and organizations and fields that you never thought it would i mean it's, it's a travesty that it impacted education, which is about people talking to people. And now it's just training cogs in a machine. You know, so we've all bought this lie, this, this idea, and it's been around and getting shaped for a long time. I think that there's plenty of people that are getting out of it. Uh, but I also think that there's a lot of people that are stuck in it and don't even see that it's a problem. They just think that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts, Steve? That's a ripper. That is good. Um, yeah, I can, I can see that there is going to be, and I think this is terrifying for a lot of people, but I think the whole, like the factory, the factory type work, you know, you're a cog and machine, you fulfill a very specific portion and that's all you ever do, uh, will be replaced by robots. And I think that scares a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. I think, well, what are we going to do to the workforce? I'm quietly hopeful and, and, and optimistic that that's exactly what the world actually needs. If given the opportunity to foster the creativity and the talent of that actual person. So, for example, if we have robots making everything and then that same person uh, who was originally just welding a line, now the, now the robot's welding it, if given the opportunity to say, okay, you don't need to weld this anymore, but what could you create or make or improve in this business given the time you have now? 
that's going to be the monumental leap of the next stage. But I don't think people have been set up for success in that way. Uh, and so Imagine that's why I think it goes back sleep. to the schooling system. And this is why I'm in, this is why I'm excited to you know explore the idea of entrepreneurship in school for no other reason than to me entrepreneurship at its core is creating something that does not. Am I gone? I'm back. It was good. Yeah. It was good. He was in the middle of something really good. I wonder what's getting recorded right now. Is, is it recording yeah, us I or think is it's, it recording him? Is it recording? There we go. He's back. We back. lost you for the like. You're gonna have to edit this, brother. <laughs> That's fine. Am I back now? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, no, what I was saying is the uh, you know I think people haven't been set up for that, or they haven't been set up for success for that in a way where um, it's not fostered. That's why I'm really excited to put you know the idea of entrepreneurship back into school because I think entrepreneurship at its core is creating something that does not yet exist. And if we have robots that take everyone's roles, all of a sudden these people have to figure out what role can I create within this organization that creates value? And that at its core is creativity, right? And so I'm really, I think there's going to go, it's going to be crazy, but I think that's ultimately broken. What's broken in work right now is people are so tied to utility and have never been given the opportunity to create their own role, create their own job, create their own outcomes. And that's what's actually missing in the world right now. And that is really has been placed on the responsibility for leaders. They've been the only ones in the world, the 3% of the entire world that's thinking, how do I create on behalf of the rest of the world? And of course we have disparity of wealth. Those people are always going to make all the money. Yeah. And so if we want to actually create some form of idea of equality where everyone's lifted from a raise of standard, we actually have to create opportunity for people to create their own roles. And that, I think, is the future of leadership, is like helping people say, hey, I don't have a job for you anymore, but we're not going to sack you. What do you want to make for yourself in this business? It's going to take some guts, man. It's going to take some bottom line guts. How cool would it be, Steve, if the question wasn't, or the fear wasn't, what, what's going to happen to the workforce when we're all robots? And instead was, what could this become? if robots took care of the other stuff. Imagine yeah. what we could achieve. Yeah. Well, the truth is there's enough profit for it anyway. My negative outlook is that people will, instead of opting towards creative work, will opt towards distraction. And so it'll be like, sweet, you know, the robot's got our job. So what are we going to do now? And it's just wally. You know, it's just fat guys in, you know, with the TV stuck to them and they're just getting force fed the food, you know, oh, I mean, it's a bleak view of, of the future. I know. And this is now my turn to be bleak Darcy, instead of you, but, <laughs> um, but unless I'll rack them, you smack them, Biff. <laughs> unless we're and maybe trained is not quite the right word but unless we're shaped and formed to be the kind of people that don't just veg out at every opportunity and sit there scrolling on our phones and we want to use that extra energy and time we have to make the world a better place and to actually produce things then when we have that extra time we're going to end up doing what we do on the weekends now we're just going to do it more and if that's writing yourself off at the club or if it's, you know, sitting there on your phone and going, where did the day go when I just binge watched all of Charmed or something? <laughs> I don't know where that reference came from. I've never even seen that show, but it's exactly he could have picked. Thing. He could have picked any show in the history of television. It was right. Well, that's the point I was Charmed. trying to make. 
people he's would been... even sit down, even sit down and watch all of Charmed. <laughs> he's, he's been... And, and listen to Nickelback. To... Yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. Just so they don't have to do anything else. I, that's with, with, the side of, with the side of Sabrina, <laughs> Sabrina, the teenage witch. Like, just... <laughs> Oh man, bit of cheese TV. Oh, Jeez, that, it's gone. It's gone back. That's a that's a niche. That's a niche reference, isn't it? Yeah. But I actually disagree with you, Dip. I actually disagree. I think that if given, you know, endless weekends, I think people would end up creating quality. They'd end up creating quality. I believe that. I believe they'd watch TV for a bit, and then they would naturally. The human inclination is to create, is to move, is to break boundaries. It's just how we're wired. It's just how it's human nature. I hope you're right, Dust. I just, mm. I probably don't see that because I actually think that the when you say naturally, I do think it's natural, but I also think that the first 20 years of a person's life are so formative that they can twist and change nature to a point. And so if you've never been given the opportunity, like Steve's talking about, to do that, you'll lose the ability to do it or you won't think that you can do it. Mm. There, are, there are so many people out there with a lot of time that just waste their time. That's just, mm. that's just the facts. And so I don't disagree that it is natural, but I think it's, a, it's, it's, like, um, it's like a tree, right? It's going to grow up. It's going to grow regardless of what you do, but you can change how and where it grows. You can change the direction that it's growing in. And if you don't look mm. after it properly, it's just, it's like like a, an, an unweeded garden goes to seed. Yeah, stuff grows there, but it's not necessarily good. Mm. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, I reckon we should wrap up here, lads, with our three cents. And I think we should do a future episode because I think there's a whole can of worms we can open up in terms of the metaverse, in terms of NFTs, in terms of, you know, really what you're pointing out there, Diff, is this idea of this, you know, fat dude connected with a VR headset that is completely disconnected with reality. And what is that? What does that pose? Just feeding dopamine into his system. This yeah. is, and this is where I'm going to be like an 80 year old man saying, throw away your mobile phones. And you guys will be like, yeah, metaverse, NFT. And I'll be, the, <laughs> I'll be the angry old man on the porch in my, so in my think- rocking chair. <laughs> I think we should uh, maybe we should even try and try and line up like a like an, uh, a web 3.0 NFT expert and like you oh, know wouldn't that let be cool. let diff and let diff and you know futurist guy or whatever it is girl go head to head and just be like I think you're wrong uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah that's no, we'll what be happens. good uh, give Dallas, me one set Steve oh you got you're gonna throw me under the bus straight up yeah I'm throwing you under the bus yeah well uh, my my one cent for today is for the ambitious leader, the ambitious CEO, the unorthodox leader to pick. And maybe you start with your managers. Maybe you start with middle management. Maybe you start with some of those key people in your, uh, in your business. Have a crack at giving them one day a fortnight where you fought, like you did with me, Diff, Thursdays, You've blocked it out in the calendar. I think this is actually the practical part of it. It's not like you just give me a free day to just be like, do whatever the heck you want. No, you've given me a day where my whole job is to create assets for the business. Dream come true, right? So I think there's structure within that, right? Thursdays is my creation day. I have eight to five to do it. So there's still limitations within it. I think that I think that's what we're talking about. You still have to have some limitations on it. It's not like, mm. you know, you now just work two days a week. My one cent is I am betting my bottom dollar that if you gave a couple of key people in your business one day a week, 
one day a fortnight where you said block it out in your calendar. Your job is just to do nothing but create, make, work on, think, innovate. And I'm not caring what you actually do from a utility point of view. I just want you to have the opportunity to, to think in that world. I bet my bottom dollar that if you did that for six to 12 months, one idea that comes out of that could be life-changing for not only your organization, but everyone around you. And that's my one cent for those that, for the one person that has a crack at that, I literally believe it could be life-changing. And we want to hear about it. We want to hear about it. Yeah. Mm. Yours does your one cent. Um, yeah. Yours was, I've heard this many times before and it was only a, actually a passing comment that was made in this podcast. Um, but I just re- really, I, I think I got reason and context for why it can be so important, which is the etymology of words. I think that's, um, I think that's key. It's <laughs> going to help you understand how ideas are formed and what you actually mean by something when you're saying it. Sometimes you don't even realize that we say these words all the time that we don't understand what the etymology of it actually really means. Yeah. And uh, it helps create meaning. So I, I like the one cent being, you know, the takeaway that we're probably going to find ourselves implementing a bit more or that yeah. we recommend to others to actually implement. So for me, it's etymology of words you've said that i reckon you've heard you talk about that 150 times it just landed on 151st yeah well if i can add in like 1.5 cents on that the example i always use for people to actually take action on that is the word decision and the word decide most people have no idea what the word decision and to decide actually means so the root word of decision is a word called decisio which literally means to cut off and the root word of side is to kill herbicide, pesticide, homicide. It's to kill the former. So when you're making a decision or you are to decide on something, it's actually to cut off all other options and in fact, kill them. Now, the way that people make decisions in the modern world is option A is this, option B is this, option C is this. And if that doesn't work, option D is that. That's not the word. That's not what decision means. If you're making a decision for something, it's like, all in, cut off, burn the bridges, burn the boats, I'm in. And if people actually made real decisions, not half flaky ones, one, you'd really consider what decisions you're making. But two, when you make a decision, it's a commitment. You know, mm. like that's, it blew my mind when I'm like, what does decision mean? What does, what does it mean to decide? So etymology.com, baby. Sponsored yeah, by etymology.com. Yeah, the, the, uh, the key there, Steve, is that deciding means to cut off, meaning saying yes is a whole lot easier than saying no. Saying no is the hard one. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Diff, mm. one cent. Mine is, uh, and, it, and it links in really well with what you just said, is, uh, is get curious. If knowledge, if building more knowledge requires knowledge, then the only way to start is to just start. Just get curious about things. If you've got a question, find out what the answer is. And, but don't just do it. Don't just do it in Google searches. Commit to spending some time reading something. And it's gonna. I'm gonna have the same one cent every week, boys. Read something. <laughs> Pick up a book and read something. Pick up something. It can be fiction, you know. And if it's older, you know, if it's a classic, then there's bonus points, right? But start building that knowledge base. And it's not just a knowledge base of facts. Uh, classic literature, really great literature, like like crime and punishment or something or shakespeare it's not just a knowledge base a basis of facts it's a knowledge basis of of empathy 
of feeling, of human experience. One of the great things about reading great literature is it teaches you more about how to be human because it shows you humanity doing and feeling and experiencing all of this different stuff. So get curious about something. If you've been meaning to read a book for a long time and you haven't done it, pick up a book and read it. Love it. Love it. So there we are, team. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of The Pursuit of Love, where every week, business geek, psychology freak, philosophy fanboy who knows, now we know he knows everything. No, yeah. what I never said that. I want to clarify, Darcy. I just don't know what I don't know. And that's the right way to answer that question because no one knows what they don't know. Cut him off. End the episode. (laughs) (laughs) But team, we come here every week with new episodes dropping every Friday. We have made a decision to commit to that. So you can expect that every Friday hitting you wherever you're listening to this too. Um, But yeah, we're here to drop our three cents on some interesting topics. Uh, This is sponsored by Outbound. We couldn't do this if we didn't have a business that was paying us. Right. So uh, if you want to check out more about Outbound, this is a software platform that we've been uh, building. As you can see, it's not just your standard old platform. We've put a fair bit of psychology, philosophy and business into it. Uh, Feel free to check that out at outbound.game for more information. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again on next week's episode. Cheers, boys. Cheers.